When Matt sang that, uh, said that we were going to sing uh, the most famous and favorite, I thought I looked over at Michael and said, we're going to do Blue Christmas. <laughs> so it's my favorite. Uh, but that, that one there is my personal favorite. I love uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And we've heard it uh, over and over this morning, reminding us of that wonderful, wonderful news. We're going to share with that, that good news this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And as you're turning, I want to take just uh, a few minutes uh, to do a couple things. First of all, it's wonderful to have many of our college students back home uh, during uh, this season. And I know the ones that are here are glad that the tests are done. But then also, it's wonderful to have Walter here with us uh, on leave. Uh, he is between Virginia and Japan. And so uh, we want him to know. Uh, it's wonderful to have him here today. But uh, let him know before you leave that you'll be praying for him, watching over him. Uh, I know that uh, all of our college students, as well as Walter, really appreciate that. And then I want to take a moment to pause and pray. I was just informed walking in this morning that my predecessor, a man who every pastor since have stood on his shoulders, who was a, uh, a stalwart of the faith, who paved the path for what Eastside is today in many, many ways. Uh, Pastor R.C. Belcher is now with the Lord. And so we want to pause this morning to honor uh, the man and his family who did so much for Eastside uh, and then to pray for them. Several of our members will be leaving this morning after the morning service, going over to attend uh, his homegoing service tomorrow down in Geneva, Alabama. And, and so we want to take a moment to pray for, for that family, pray for our members who will be traveling uh, down there uh, to watch over, as well as praying for our service here today and tonight. Man, look around. It's going to be good today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we do not grieve as those without hope. Lord, but we rejoice with you uh, in the death of your saints, that though dead in the flesh are alive forevermore. And though dead speak, Lord, in testimony that lives on, Lord, it is not lost on us today of our uh, predecessors, the men and women uh, who blazed a trail, who were not worried about whether we sung out of a hymn book or off of a screen, whether uh, the air was at a certain temperature, because they didn't have heating and air conditioning, or they didn't have the things we had. They didn't have to worry about sound equipment or anything. They just worshiped, and they reached the lost for Christ. Lord, we're thankful for having screens. We're thankful for having hymn books. We're thankful for heat and air conditioning. But Lord, we're thankful for those who have gone before. We're thankful for Pastor R.C. Belcher, for his family. I pray that you bid with them during these days, those who are be traveling from here to uh, just out of respect and the impact he left on their lives. 
Uh, Lord, watch over them. Uh, Lord, we pray for our services here today. Lord, that you would just pour into us. Lord, the Spirit would overwhelm us with the greatest news of all. Lord, we pray all this in the name of Emmanuel, the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Luke chapter 1. Now, this morning, there will be no PowerPoint. I thought, you know what? Let's just be simple and look at God's Word for just a week. And I love PowerPoint. I'm not against it. Matter of fact, I like it. I think it does a lot to illustrate. But this morning, I want us really focused on this good news. Everybody loves good news, don't they? I mean, listen, I love good news. I, I was thinking back when I was preparing this and I thought back to the news of getting an acceptance letter to college or seminary. You remember when you got that letter maybe and you, were, you had applied to different schools and you were accepted. Everybody likes to be accepted. You know, you may remember the great news of being told you had gotten a job that you had applied for and they call and say, hey, you're, you're our, our choice. We want you to start. So if you could come in tomorrow or next week. We love that kind of good news about Jesus Christ, uh, about our jobs in the Lord when God speaks to our hearts. I'll never forget, this is the only church I've pastored that we stayed for the vote. And it, I'll be honest, it really, it really kind of unnerved uh, Becky and I. We're like, I don't know about this sticking around for it. And they said, oh yeah, stick around. And I'll never forget being over in the Welcome Center. We, all of us went over there, family went over there while the church voted. And uh, I'll never forget one of the deacons coming over and getting us and say, the vote is in. And they didn't have to count chads. We didn't have to get the Supreme Court involved. And uh, the vote had passed. And he said, you've been voted in unanimously as the next pastor of Eastside. We were thrilled. We were absolutely thrilled. It's been eight years ago, uh, this past Thanksgiving week, uh, that God called us here. I remember that uh, very, very fondly and am so thankful. I can remember see, receiving word of loved ones, church members that we prayed for on Wednesday night and said, really pray. I've got to go have tests done at the doctor this week. Please pray, Pastor. Uh, I've had tests and I'm going to receive the results this week. And they call rejoicing. All oh, the tests have come back clear. The doctors don't understand why this was there and now it's not. I do. And they, we often write it off as, oh, they just read the test wrong. I'm going to tell you something. We sure demean the power of God sometimes. We say, oh, they just, they, it wasn't ever there. I'm going to tell you something. I believe honestly that it's there more often than it's not. And that God, through our prayers, even our weak, pitiful prayers, God answers. God removes things and answers our prayer. I, I love that kind of good news, don't you? I, I mean, we ought to be rejoicing more in what God has done. I will always remember that Monday morning that Becky woke me up and said we were going to be parents. What 
unbelievable good news. Such announcements bring joy to the entire family. But the announcement of the birth of Jesus would be the good news to the entire world. Just as God had promised Abraham thousands of years prior, all nations of the earth can rejoice in Christ. Think about this. Isaac Watts understood that very well when he wrote the following lines in 1719. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. 300 years ago, Isaac Watts wrote that. Today we shall seek to understand all that Luke revealed about the long-awaited arrival of the Son of God. One of the greatest challenges in the pastorate is when we come to Christmas and we come to Easter, we so often want a new angle or, or we want a, a, a fresh approach. I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that should be stale or stagnant about the wonderful greatest news of them all, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't need a new angle. We don't need some kind of new view at it. We just need to remember the truth of those, that wonderful news. I have in uh, a box somewhere, I have the newspaper that was the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, uh, the moment it happened when Atlanta Braves won the World Series, uh, and there's this picture on the front you know, of the, uh, of the catcher running and jumping on the pitcher. And I've got that newspaper. Some of you may have the newspaper of the first moon landing or Kenny, uh, the president assassinated. Many people have those famous news headings. But the greatest, most famous news that separated all time is the news of the birth of our Savior. It was good news that brought great joy to the entire world. Look in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Can I tell you just a sidebar? I'll be there in about four weeks. And I am thrilled beyond measure to go back. It's been 34 years since I've been there. And I'm excited to go back. He said that he was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And this is really, really important, church. Hear me. I don't know what version you hold. I don't know what your background, but our doctrine, our faith, everything about what we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah who died without sin to take away the sin of the world, to forgive sinners, to save lost, all starts with this right here. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. It was not just a fair maiden. It was not just a really good moral girl. She was a virgin who had never been with a man. It was God overshadowing, not not based on the basic things of humans, but God 
in the, as the Holy Spirit overshadowing this ethical, moral, godly young lady who is still a virgin. And the incorruptible seed fulfilling prophecy dating all the way back to the first book of the Bible had now taken place on the earth. And you're going to tell me that life doesn't begin in conception? God sent life into the womb of Mary. But this being prophesied to a virgin, it shall happen. Of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. You know, I like to feel special. You know, I can go home, and though I'm 55 years old, mom always makes me feel special. I'm her boy, one of the three. I'm number one, but I'm one of them. And I like to feel special, I, you know, in, in different ways. I, I'm so thankful for a church that loves us. Pastor appreciation is just always off the chain. I really appreciate that. You know, we all like to feel special, right? But can I tell you, nobody before, nobody after was Mary. Highly favored above all others. God chose her. Now, I want to I say something just as a sidebar. Mary didn't stay a virgin. But now Mary did it the right way in marriage. But Mary had other children. And for her to still be the virgin Mary, hear me today then Jude and James would be messiahs as well. But there's only one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And his name is Jesus. Mary had to trust Jesus as her savior, not just see him as her son. The same way you and I do. She had original sin just as the rest of us. It was the Holy Spirit overshadowing her that placed an incorruptible seed upon the corruptible. And it said, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. And cast it in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how, how, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the high shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, the cousin of Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, 
Nothing shall be impossible. Amen, church? And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Oh, what wonderful, wonderful news. First of all, this morning, I want us to see the timing of God's good news. After 400 years of silence, 400 years, no prophet, none. There had not been an Elijah. There had not been a Daniel. There had not been a Samuel or Elisha. No prophet for 400 years. And now the silence is broken. But why? Since God had last spoke, think about this. Since the last time God had spoke in the realm of the world, number one, the Persian Empire had collapsed. We will be looking at some of that uh, first of the year when we begin looking at the book of Nehemiah. And we see Darius and we see Cyrus and we see the great Persian Empire. We look throughout history and we know of four great kingdoms. We know of the Roman. We know first the Greek Empire and we know of the Mede-Persian Empire. Then we see the Roman Empire and we see the Babylonian Empire. Well, this great empire that had ruled had now collapsed. Alexander the Great's empire had collapsed and was divided among his four generals. Alexander the Great had controlled more of the world than anyone else ever had. To the point that he wanted a common language. And thus was born the Koine Greek that the New Testament was written in. Julius Caesar had also died as the Roman Empire was approaching its zenith. Why did God choose that environment and that time for the birth of his son? Why not today? Man, we've got media, we've got satellite, we could beam it everywhere, anywhere, at any time. The timing of his plan, listen to me, was no accident. In order to answer the why now question, we need to understand, first of all, the personal significance. Once again, Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The sixth month. Mary's older cousin Elizabeth was also expecting. Both had miracle pregnancy. She, you know, we always think of them being like, like contemporaries. We think of Elizabeth and Mary sitting there and they're both young girls and they're talking. Don't we always think Mary was old? I mean, Elizabeth was old. She probably could have been Mary's grandmother in age because she was barren and really past age. Both had these miracle pregnancies that would make each the subject of curiosity and speculation. One would give birth to the last Old Testament prophet and the other to the Messiah. The support of a close relative would be greatly beneficial. Don't you like to have somebody you can trust and lean on? A confidant? Think about it. Mary, you know, you remember the story. Mary goes. Mary goes to Elizabeth and says, Elizabeth, I don't, I don't know how to say this. But I'm going to have a baby. 
And I'm still a virgin. God told me he's going to be the Messiah. And John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. This really happened. And can you imagine the joy that welled up in Elizabeth and said, I'm not surprised at all. Because let me tell you what God has been doing in my life. You see, when God moves in our life, we'll want God to move in other people's lives. And we will come together. Men, we are subject to one another in encouraging one another. And if not, you need to get that right with God and allow other men to pour into your life. Ladies, you need to be pouring into one another spiritually that we may be godly men and women, fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters and children and parents that God's called us to be. Elizabeth and Mary were iron that sharpened iron. You know, that scripture is not just for men. Women, we can sharpen one another. It was a personal significance that showed to be greatly beneficial. Later, their sons would support each other as well, wouldn't they? When are we experiencing, when we experience stormy or uncharted waters, it's so important to find support from a believer who have experienced the same types of challenges. You see, young people, though you know it all right now, there's going to be a point where you realize you've grown to a point you don't know everything. And when you reach that point of understanding that you're not as smart as you were when you were 16 or 17, then you'll look around and you'll realize there are men and women who've already realized that as well. And they've already walked the path that you're now walking. They have faced finals week. They have faced death. They have faced cancer treatments. They have faced the loss of jobs, evictions, bankruptcies. They have faced a recession, depression. They have faced world wars. They have faced conflicts. They have faced things that you cannot even begin to imagine. And it is so arrogant and ignorant to walk by them every day and not say, hey, how'd you deal with this? And it is the most selfish thing in the world, adults, not to minister to others with the ministry you've received. God has granted you grace in your life. You need to be sharing that grace with others. Young couples need to hear from older couples. We're working on something for the late winter, spring after the first of the year to do some stuff with couples. We need to be teaching young Fathers, men, there are boys that come to this church on Wednesday nights and other times, and we think, well, we praise the Lord for Andrew, and I do. But you know what? Andrew can't be a mentor. He can be a leader, but he can't mentor all those boys that don't have a father figure in their life. How many of you were in RAs or some kind of boys' ministry or something growing up that they took you camping, took you fishing or something like that? Do any of you, hold your hands up. If you regret it, put your hands down. If you wish they'd have never took you camping, they would, you'd have rather them took you shopping or left you at home, put your hand down. Then why are we not doing it anymore? 
Why do we, we're too busy to serve God. We're too busy to go camp out. We're too busy to not be busy. I'm going to tell you something. Before you wake up and you wish you would have done it, do it. We've got basketball. We've got cheerleading. We've got night to shine. Oh, I was going to do it this year, but man, this come up. I'm going to tell you something. What comes up must go down. Put it back down and say, no, I will not allow anything else to stand between me and God's calling on my life. I'm going to serve and not to shine. I'm going to help with basketball. I want I don't know a thing about basketball, but what I do know is Jesus loves the little children of the world. And they're coming to our church, my church, and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to minister to them. I'm going to help in the kitchen. I'm going to help by sharing a devotion with them at their practice. I'm going to come do whatever I've got to do to let them know that Eastside, but more importantly, Jesus Christ loves them. It was a personal significance. And we ought to understand that. Mary had Elizabeth. Paul had Silas. Peter had John. Elijah had Elisha. Who do you have? Who do you have? It's important to have somebody and to be vulnerable. Listen, the prophetical significance. It, this is of the time. But the scripture says in Galatians 4, 4, I love this. When the fullness of of the time was come. When I was growing up, my mother can cook anything and she could bake anything. And I remember the old days, she'd be cooking a cake, you know? And we were ready for that cake to be done. And so we'd want to go in there and you didn't have lights and all the other stuff over the oven. And so you'd open the door and I could hear, we'd be going in the kitchen and you could smell it, it was glorious. And mama, you'd get close to the kitchen, and in that little bee house, she could hear everything. Mama would be hollering, don't you open that, that stove and cause my cake to fall. I didn't understand what all that did until I made a cake fall, and then I understood. You open, you let that door shut, and it hit, and the cake collapses on itself. Still tastes pretty good, but that didn't make mama happy. But it didn't make mama happy a lick. You know, mama made it very clear. There was a significance. It's not finished yet. Just wait. I know it's hard, but it's not finished yet. Listen, they would come and they would come to the temple and they would look to David and they would look to Solomon and they would look to Elijah and they would look to Daniel and they would look to Malachi and they would look at Joel and Amos and all the others. And they'd say, not yet. Not yet. Well, what about, nope, not yet. But then it was time. I always loved Christmas morning. Man, I love Christmas morning. Uh, it was, you know, one of the only days I really, really liked getting up before the sun did. And uh, I can wait now, but I still love Christmas morning. And that excitement, and, and you know, you'd get up on Christmas Eve and you'd be like, oh, not yet. Really close, but not yet. But when the fullness of time was come, as that calendar clicked, 
day after day, week and month and year after year and decade and century after century and millennia after millennia. And then all of a sudden, in the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. For thousands of years, church, hear me now, because I'm going to show you the significance of this. For thousands of years, Israel had been looking and longing for her Messiah. And now he had come. And why I say the significance, some of you are looking for deliverance in your life. You're looking for that answer. You're looking for that day that whatever burden you're bearing will be taken care of and removed. I want to tell you today, in the fullness of God's timing and not yours, that day will come. If you're saved, that day will come. God is never early. Do you know that? God's never early. God doesn't surprise because he gets there early. God always warns when he's coming. He just said, be ready. God's never late. God's always right on time. Right on time. Jesus was right on time. Between B.C. and A.D., and by the way, that just didn't happen by chance. It happened because of Jesus. That's what Anno Domini means. Throw your secular history books away when it talks about the common era. There is not a common era. There's only before Christ and after. Jesus literally separated time. Church, the prophetical significance, real quickly, listen to me. Genesis twenty-two eighteen. 18. In your seed, your lineage, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matt read from Isaiah 9, 6 of that child that would be born, that would carry the weight of the government upon his shoulders, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father, Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth has been from old and from everlasting. It was a very prophetical significance that fulfilled all of Scripture. Amen. Because if one, hear me now, if one prophecy one prophecy was missed by the nth degree, then all are null and void. But Jesus fulfilled it all. He fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the prophecy, but the grace of all, he fulfilled the Father's will. That's why we read the Old Testament, church. It's the big hand of God saying, look who's coming! And we see Jesus, the Messiah. The geopolitical significance, this is the timing of Jesus' coming. It's known as the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was a time of relative peace resulting in, and we know there will never be perfect peace until Jesus comes back to the earth. 
But you've got to understand during the Hellenization uh, uh, from Rome that had spread out, the, the road systems within the entire empire had been transformed in that isolated villages were now part of a world community. There were places that had not been touched that now had become part of society. The Mediterranean Sea and Black Sea had become relatively free of piracy because of the fear of the Roman government. Safer roads and sea made extensive travel possible. Why is all that important? Because the Hellenization of the Roman Empire, adopting this Greek culture, the New Testament world became a smaller place. The world language, one language, Koine Greek, was the language of commerce. It's how they dealt with each other in business. You add all this up, it meant that the fame of Jesus, the truth of Jesus Christ, of, of eyewitnesses and written accounts of his gospel could proliferate the entire world quicker than ever before. It was an age of brilliance, an age of media, an age of spreading. We see these old archway things uh, when we see you know, uh, old ancient architecture. What you don't realize, those old archways down by the beach and all this stuff, that is the first running water plumbing. That the Romans through this aqueduct, they would carry water through this aqueduct for thousands of miles. Now they did it on the backs of Christians and Jews and slavery, but it's amazing the roads, the cobblestone roads and other things that they paved that all added up to the gospel being able to be spread much quicker. You see, there's a personal, prophetical, and geopolitical reason why at this point in human history, God chose to send his son. It truly was the fullness of time. But the timing of the good news is critical, but so is the telling of God's good news. What good is it to have news not tell anybody? You know? Discover, discover, you know, some scientist somewhere in some corner of the world discovers an absolute unadulterated cure for cancer and doesn't tell anybody. You know, it was a great day when they discovered penicillin and what it could do. And the gazillion lives that has saved. Imagine if they said, let them die. Who cares? What about the polio vaccine? See, when I was growing up, there was still a very visible effect of what polio had done to people. I can remember my mom and dad talking about, well, they had polio. And people who walked with, you know, the, the arm-type canes and, uh, and walkers and others that had different issues uh, in their body because of polio, others that had suffered back in the day from different fevers that today can be controlled just almost within hours. And people's lives forever changed through fevers and things like that. Imagine if we had that good news and we never told anyone. The telling of God's news came through, first of all, the messenger. 
The angelic messenger was Gabriel, the mighty one. He was first introduced to us in verse 19 and seems to be the personal messenger of God. I mean, he was very accomplished as a messenger. We see him in Daniel 8 and Daniel 9. He was sent to Daniel to present the meaning of visions. Then he was sent to Zacharias. But his finest hours when God looked over at him and says, hey, I need you to go tell Mary that she's going to give birth to the Messiah. He was an admiring messenger. The Bible says that the angels desire to look into the things that God does in man's behalf in 1 Peter. They don't understand. Jesus didn't die for angels. Angels were, are either faithful to God that have remained faithful for all time or they rebelled with Lucifer and was kicked out. There is no in-between. There is no help or salvation for those who rejected because they already knew glory and was removed. We were born into sin. God's created people in his image and Jesus was sent to die to redeem us. He admires it from a distance. Gabriel cannot help but admire what God is doing in the life of Mary. He also admires the quality of her chaste and simple life. Listen, we too are to be good news messengers. We like to post when our team wins. We like to post when our kids receive rewards and awards. We like to post when we get something new. We like to tell the good news of, hey, I lost this much pounds and I won some award. It's a major award. I need to tell everybody. Y'all will get, I just used two movie quotes and some of you may pick up on that later. Trey got it. The truth is, we have the greatest news of all. I love to hear when my team wins. I love to hear when someone gets an award. I, I can remember going to Junior Beta Club, and I remember going to all that stuff. And you have the ring ceremonies, and you have all this other stuff. Man, I'm going to tell you one of the proudest moments of my life. And I was so proud. I got, got up, and, and my personal advisor, Dr. Rickardson, y'all remember, came not too long ago. And... I had to bend down because he's a little shorter than me and he hooded me when I received my doctorate degree. But you know what? The greatest news is what I stood and read from that pulpit that day. Not reading my dissertation, but I opened God's word to John chapter six and I read of the bread of life, the first scripture I ever preached in 1984. The good news is the greatest thing I could ever tell anybody or show them. And the same goes for you. We may not be angels, but we should be even better qualified to speak of God's salvation because we've experienced it, church. God saved you. Man, that's greater news than the biggest buck you could ever kill. It's greater than the greatest shopping deal you could ever find. Tell somebody about Jesus. You want the greatest Christmas of them all? Tell your kids about Jesus. Tell your family about Jesus.
We've got it backwards when we put family ahead of Jesus at Christmas. We just got it backwards. Tonight it's about our family and we're going to come together and the deacons annual supper after the children think, but it's about the message that will be presented up here. The hangups. We all have hangups around Christmas. Some of us don't like Christmas music. Some of us like old Christmas music. Some of us don't like exchanging gifts. Some of us like, listen, all of it's just a hangup if we don't put Jesus first and foremost because it's about him. We are to share the good news. The Bible tells us how beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him that brings good tidings, that publishes peace, brings good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, your God reigns. Listen, I want to challenge you this blessed season. Bring good tidings to somebody. Somebody needs the good news of Jesus. And I can promise you this season affords the greatest opportunity of you to share the good news of Jesus than any other time of the year. It's the great, people will hear and, and come if you invite them more during this season than any other time. Today, it is not too late to invite somebody back tonight, to invite them next week. Listen, the good news message is simple. After 40 years of si- 400 years of silence, what does God have to say to the world? First of all, it is a message of love. He said in verse 30, the angel said, Fear not, Mary, you have found favor with God. Why is it this fear not business? We have a good reason to fear. We're sinners in the hands of an angry God. We are sinners and God is holy. He has every right to be angry with us. But God did not send a message of judgment unto Mary. Jesus himself, we quote John 3, 16 all the time, but how many of us can quote verse 17? For I came not into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. His was a message of undeserved love. You don't deserve it. Don't don't think you deserve it. You got cleaned up and fixed up and righted up. You're coming to Sunday school singing in the choir and even even tithing a little bit here or there. That don't clean you up. And all that's just busy work if it's not about Jesus. In fact, God's message to man is, is found in 1 John 4. He said, there is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear hath torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Fear is not of God. God had to show me this standing in an ICU room with my daughter when he said, for I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. From that day forward, I can promise you I've still feared things, but I've been able to look at that fear and say, that is not of God. It is a very clear sign with graffiti sprayed all over it. Not God. Not God. Fear is not of God, church. But love is. It's a message of hope. 
Tell me when there's ever been a time in our lives that this world needs hope more than it does now. The government against itself, family among family, Bible tells us that's going to happen. This world, you know what it needs. It don't need better country music. It don't need more popular Hollywood stars and pop stars. It don't need more money, and we don't need, it doesn't need newer technology and newer cars. What the world needs is hope, and the only hope is found in Jesus. He said in verse 31, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He tells us, but while he thought on these things in Matthew, Behold, this was Joseph. Joseph, can you imagine? Man, Joseph's been told something that don't make a bit of sense ever. And he didn't have to be an anthropologist. He didn't have to be a biologist. He didn't even have to pass basic science to understand how babies were made. And his fiance is pregnant and he knows it's not his. And yet, he said, I'm not going to kill her. I know I could, but I'm not. And while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, said, Joseph, thou son of David. Did you hear that? You see, the lineage of Christ all the way back, didn't come just through Mary, come through his earthly father too. God don't play. God doesn't, listen, it's not happenstance. It don't just coincidence. Listen, God had a plan. God has a plan for your life. And if God in the fullness of time can send himself in the person of the son through a virgin born in a barn, he can sure fix what ails you. Amen, church. Listen, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Church, without Jesus, we have no hope. Joseph found hope in his future son that he would get to raise, but wasn't his. But it was greater than anything he could ever imagine. He was allowed to be the husband of the woman who would give birth to the Messiah. Listen, the good news miracle, Mary's purity, her virginity is, we've talked about it already, we won't camp out on it. But I'm gonna tell you, if you got a problem with that, you got a whole problem with the gospel. Because it takes that. Mary's power source tells us in verse 35, and the angel answered and said, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. When God's on your side, there's nothing that can stand against you. You are a David in a world of Goliaths when God is on your side. Right? Gabriel happened to be the messenger angel, but there's other angels we see in the Old Testament. One took out 185,000 soldiers in one failed swoop. 
one angel. Can you imagine what the world would have looked like if Jesus would have called 10,000 angels down? One day those angels are going to be used in their role of servancy during the tribulation period. And it's not going to be pleasant. They're going to pour out bowls and blow trumpets and vials of where at one point one quarter of the world's population will die and within a year and a half one third more will die ending up with half of every living person will have died on the face of the earth in a year and a half. Can you imagine what that would look like? You couldn't bury them fast enough. I asked them in Haiti, I said, y'all had 300,000 die in this earthquake. And they said, actually, it was closer to 350. I said, where did you bury them? And he went like this. I said, where, what is it? He said, see out there, see that big flatland? They would just take tractors and push holes and then just push whole cities where they, could, they never even found the bodies. And what, it was like 9-11. And they literally just took dozers that, that the UN and other countries sent in and they just pushed whole cities, homes and families into this hole and covered it up. The death will be all around through the power of these angelic beings. And yet here, this angel says, hey, the power comes from the Lord. Mary's purpose, well, to bear the God-man, Jesus Christ. She never sought to be a co-redeemer, co-redemptrix. She never sought to be elevated above anyone else. She was humbled. She was broken. She was fearful. But she was never arrogant in it. The one time she said, hey, Jesus, do a trick. Jesus said, Mary. He didn't call her mother. He said, Mary, my time's not yet come. I'll do it the way my father has called me to do it. Don't do that anymore. I'll do it. I'll do what God wants when God wants it. You see, she had a purpose. God has a purpose for your life. Do you know it? Are you doing it? Don't step outside of that purpose. There is no pleasure in it. Mary's promise, it said in verse 38, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Mary committed herself to the plan of God. She promised her life, her reputation, her future for God's purpose. Can you say the same? Can you say, God, whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want, whoever you want, Father, here I am. Use me, send me, make me, mold me. Lord, may I answer to you and you alone. We'll be announcing everything about the Guatemala mission trip in a few weeks. So you've got things to be praying about, not to shine. There's volunteer sign-up sheets. You need to be doing basketball, mission trips, huge camps. There's decisions to be made. Am I going to be what God wants me to be? 
Last year I made some lame excuse and didn't go to Guatemala and God's beat me up ever since. I'm not going to make that mistake again. Listen, she committed herself to the Lord. Are you committing your life to him? The telling of the Christmas miracle is now our responsibility. The season lends itself to the telling of the good news. I love Christmas music, uh, movies. I love Christmas music. I mean, the great, the great Christmas movies, you know, like Die Hard and uh, Elf. I love the children's stories that still show the truth. I mean, come on. Y'all know Die Hard's a Christmas movie. Just deal with it. Um, the truth is we, we have a constant ability to share. It's not about jingle bells. I mean, I love Rudolph. I love all that stuff. I mean, who can't somewhere in their life relate to a misfit toy? Huh? Come on. Timmy in a box, not Jack. You know, I mean, perfect example. But in the midst of all that, enjoy it. Make your hot cocoa. Make your good, strong black coffee. Have all the treats and all those things that you'll feel bad about January 1. But don't go to all the Christmas parties and indulge in the things of this world and miss the message and miss the opportunity to tell the world Listen in closing as they come. The timing of the birth of Jesus was no accident. It was well planned. Your presence here today is no accident either. God has you here today for such a time as this. It was well planned. Your presence. God has you here for a reason. To commit your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. To celebrate the season with him. Listen, the telling of the good news is no longer the job of Gabriel. Mary or Joseph, it's ours. It's your job and mine. I, you say, well, you're the preacher. I'm the pastor. We're all preachers of the gospel if we're saved. The word preach means to proclaim. And how will they hear unless someone preaches? The good news that brought great joy to the entire world is Jesus. Because of that, we can sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Do you have that kind of joy in your heart? Are you willing to accept the good news? Jesus Christ died for your sin. Are you committed to telling the world and being everything God's called you to be? If not, why don't you come today? Why don't you come? And, and may I say, I plead with you. Don't let this be just another Christmas. Let this be the Christmas changes you, your family, and your whole course in life because you allow Jesus to change it. Come to him today. Stand and come.